I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. This morning we are taking a break from our study of the Gospel of Mark. In order to spend some time being reminded together from God's Word of what it means when we share together of the Lord's Supper. Most of you know that this is our practice. On the first Sunday of each month, we've set aside this time to share the Lord's table, to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. And I think that this is an important regular rhythm. We used to not do it monthly. We used to do it more quarterly. And a few years ago, we decided that it would be important for us to share this meal more regularly. So now 12 times a year, maybe one or two more if special occasions, we share this table. And I think that's a good thing that honors God, this regular rhythm. But there can be a downside to rhythm. Sometimes things that we do on a routine become just that. They become routine. And maybe there's been times when you've come in on a Sunday morning and it's just felt like that. I wonder if on those days or you've come in and you've wondered, is there really anything special about this? Here we are eating a little piece of bread, doesn't necessarily taste good. Drinking from a little cup, just a little bit of juice that barely washes down the bread. Is this really important or is this just tradition? And I'm okay with tradition, but maybe that's all this is. Maybe you've wondered if everyone else in the room understands something about this that you don't. Maybe you're sure that it's significant. You're sure it must be important, but some weeks when you participate, even knowing that it's valuable, it does nothing to stir your affections doesn't seem to accomplish anything. So maybe you wonder if there's something you're missing. Is there something that everyone around me is experiencing that I'm not? Well, it's with those kinds of questions in mind, I want to spend our time this morning thinking about what's going on, what we're doing when we share the Lord's Supper. Why did God tell us to do this? What should we be thinking about as we eat the bread, what we should we be thinking about as we drink of the cup? How do I get the full benefit of whatever this is? I want to try to answer some of those questions. And we're going to do that by looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to look at a little piece from chapter 10 and a little piece from chapter 11. For some of you, probably familiar text. For others of you, we're jumping right into the middle of a letter. And you may not have your bearings. Let me just give you a quick Inside, Paul's writing this letter to a church in a city called Corinth, and he is writing, quite frankly, to a struggling church. Many of them are young in their faith. They don't have a firm grasp on what God has called them to do and who he's called them to be. And add to that, that there's false teachers who have come in among them. So they've heard the truth and received the gospel, but now there's this mixture of all kinds of things around them. So Paul writes this letter in order to teach them, to confront them on some of their practices that aren't in line with truth. 
and to help them to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And one of the things that he focuses in on is their misuse and, quite frankly, their abuse of the Lord's Supper. If you read through all of chapter 10, all of chapter 11, what's clear is that at best, the Corinthians just don't understand what the Lord's Supper is. At worst, they're ignoring what it is and using it for their own purposes. So Paul is writing to help them, in a sense to confront them, in a sense to warn them, in a sense to encourage them. He wants them to know that this is a gift from God given to you for your benefit. And he wants them to be encouraged in their use of it. Thankfully, God's grace is they didn't understand it. So Paul wrote a letter to help them understand it. A letter inspired by God, now preserved for us. So we too can understand this gift from God. I said we're going to be in two chapters. We're going to look at four verses in chapter 10 and four verses in chapter 11. We won't have time to cover all the context, but I do want us to, to consider what does the Bible teach us about the Lord's Supper and what should we be thinking about as we share it together. So let's go to the scriptures. We'll start in chapter 10 and verse 14. The word of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We'll turn over to chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That's that God would use his word, add his blessing to it this morning. I want to encourage you. Can I give you some homework? Maybe I should have given it to you last week in preparation for this week. Your homework is to read all of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11. As you read, you'll see some very specific ways that the Corinthians were struggling. Chapter 10 actually focuses more specifically on their idolatry. Chapter 11, he focuses in on their misuse and abuse of the Lord's Supper. A lot of context that we just won't take time to unpack this morning. But as I've read through these chapters and considered what Paul says here, I want to just take this opportunity to pull out five things, five truths from this passage, five things we should know about the Lord's Supper, about what it means and how it's used. Let me say this. I'm so passionate that we don't misuse what God has given us or that we would not lose the benefit of what he's given us by not understanding it fully. He's given us this gift of the supper for our good, for our benefit. He's given it to strengthen us. He's given it to focus us. 
He's given it to protect us. And, and so my hope is that this morning and then in March when we gather around the table and in April, that you'll be able to take these things and you'll have something to hold on to. Something that you can have in mind as you come to the table. My disclaimer for our scholars and theologians in the room, we won't cover everything. It's a huge topic, but I just wanted to give us a few things that we can hang on to that I think will help us. So I boiled it down to five words, five words that hopefully you can remember and maybe even bring back with you each time we share the Lord's table. Fellowship, remember, proclaim, anticipate, together. Fellowship, remember, proclaim, anticipate, together. And I'll say I'm a lot this morning, so hopefully they stick. Five things for us to understand from our sharing of the Lord's Supper. And the first there is fellowship. The Lord's Supper is for fellowship with Christ. Now, I said I wasn't going to give you context, but I do need to give you some, okay? The Corinthians are struggling, and like I mentioned, part of their struggle is idolatry. The city of Corinth was a historically pagan city. And many who came to faith in Christ came out of this pagan culture. And there's still many in their families, friends, social groups who are still worshipers of idols. And a big part of that idol worship was the sacrificing of animals and the eating of food sacrificed to animals. And so if you read chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, lots of talk about what can we eat, what should we not eat. And it brings up really just practical questions. If I go to a Super Bowl party, right, and they're serving food that have been sacrificed to idols, what do I do? Can I have dinner at my friend's home? Can I shop at the local markets that may be selling this food? Really good practical questions, and Paul's tackling those questions. As we get to chapter 10, he's still talking about idolatry, but he uses the Lord's Supper as an illustration. He wants them to see that while there's significance in participating in idols and associating yourselves with idols, in the same way we associate ourselves with the Lord through the sharing of the Lord's Supper. So he's writing this to teach about idolatry, but in here we get some important truths about the nature of the, the table. So I want you to understand that we're pulling these verses out that are being used to speak against idolatry, but there's truth in these things that Paul says about the table. So looking in at verse 14, we see that. He says, flee from idolatry. This is the call. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And then he gives the illustration, the comparison. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, speaking of the cup that we drink, the Lord's Supper, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And then he goes on to explain how this should help them to flee from idolatry. But there's important things in this passage, particularly that word participation. What does it mean that when we share the cup, there's participation with the blood of Christ? What does it mean that there's participation with the body of Christ? Well, that word could also be translated as fellowship. 
Paul assumes that the Corinthians know that when they come to the table, they're coming to a special kind of fellowship with Christ, fellowship with his work on the cross. He states it as a fact, doesn't he? The cup is participation. The, the bread is participation. You know, we, we take a word from original language, we, we have options to try to find the best fitting word. Some of your translations may, may, may say sharing. Others, participation, like the ESV. It could be fellowship. It could also be communion. And this is where, why we often call this table the communion table. This is the passage it comes from. Is not the drinking of the cup and the eating the bread communion with Christ? To eat of this table, as Paul's telling us, is to commune with him, to have fellowship with him. Now maybe, some of you are thinking, it seems Catholic to me, right? Because the Catholic church has traditionally taught that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ and the, the wine actually becomes the blood of Christ. And so in taking it, we're, Christ is coming into us in a unique way. That's not what Paul's saying here. And we don't believe that the elements change. But when we approach the table, I think Paul's telling us is, there is a sense in we're entering into spiritual fellowship with Christ. We identify with his work on our behalf. The Bible teaches we are in union with Christ, and we are always in union with Christ. But the table is a special time. When we enter into a, a unique method of fellowship with Christ. After all, his body was broken for us so we can be saved through him. His blood was shed for us so that we can be forgiven. And so we eat, acknowledging, enjoying, participating in fellowship. Now, let's be careful. What Paul's not saying here is that we receive salvific benefit from the eating. This meal is not what brings us into fellowship with Christ. But it's a means in which we are reminded of and enjoy his presence. We're acknowledging and enjoying the fellowship and union we have with him. And if we just stopped there, shouldn't that be enough to change the way we think about eating and drinking? Yes, we have fellowship with God through prayer. We have fellowship with God through the reading of the word. And then we have this God-ordained method where we eat something, we taste something. And in it, we commune with Christ. It's a physical, tangible experience. And this is the first thing. As we come to the Lord's table, we should come knowing that this is a means of communion. It is a means of fellowship. Word number one, fellowship. Okay? Word number two, remember. The Lord's Supper is for remembering Christ. So we go from chapter 10 to chapter 11. Paul moves from the, the topic of idolatry, and he does start speaking specifically after a section on head coverings, which you can work through that on your own. He talks specifically about the use and the abuse of the Lord's Supper. And what we learn is that the Corinthians had taken something sacred and turned it into a social event. Instead of promoting unity in the church, they were actually causing division. What had begun as a remembrance turned into something very different. So what, and you can read, they were having these parties, there was 
separation, the rich and the poor. So Paul is confronting them on this and helping them to understand more clearly what the supper is for. And it's in that context that he recounts the giving of the Lord's Supper by Christ to his disciples. So we see there in verse 23, he's just taking them back to the beginning. Let's remember where this started, okay? Verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. He's taking us back to a scene and you probably have a, an idea in your mind of what that would have looked like. The disciples and Jesus all reclined around table. And when we go to that passage, we know what's coming, don't we? The disciples didn't really know. They didn't know the weight of that night. What they knew was this was Passover. Something that they had celebrated every year most of their lives, probably all of their lives. What's Passover? Well, it was a night of remembrance. What were they remembering? Passover was a time when the Jews would come together and they would eat a meal to remember when God had saved them from the hands of Pharaoh. So think back to Exodus. The people of God enslaved. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go and Pharaoh will not relent. And so God sends a plague. But Pharaoh will not relent. And then a second, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. Nine plagues, and still Pharaoh refuses to let the people of God go. And so God sends the tenth and final plague. By far the most serious of the ten. He lets them know that in the night an angel will come. Passing over Egypt and killing the firstborn of every family. Firstborn son of every family. What an incredible act of judgment. We talked last week about the judgment of God. And here we get a taste of how severe it could be. It was a severe night where the eldest son of every home in Egypt was killed, except for those who were the people of God. He told them, here's what you should do. Take a lamb, sacrifice it, take its blood and put it over the door of your home. And then eat all of the, the sacrifice and then go to bed. And during this night, as the angel of the Lord passes over, anyone who has the blood on their door, that house will be spared. He would pass over. So God uses the sacrifice of a lamb and the blood of a lamb as the means of salvation for his people. And every year, he tells them there in Exodus 12, 14, every year I want you to, again, share this meal, what? As a remembrance that I passed over, that by blood you have been saved. Surely you know it's no coincidence that it was on the Passover night when Jesus gathered with his disciples and told them that blood would be shed, that a lamb would die for the salvation of the sins of his people. The sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the salvation of Israel is through blood. And it foreshadows the sacrifice that Jesus would make. Here they are. His death is imminent. The disciples don't understand it, but Jesus takes bread and he takes the cup and he wants to help them. They are about to enter the worst week of their life. He knows they will need strength. 
And he's trying to help them. So we think about that scene. Like I said, you probably know it well. But hear, hear, the, hear the passage one more time. Jesus, on the night when he was to be betrayed, took bread. He gave thanks. And remember, they're here for the Passover meal. But he breaks the bread and says, this is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And they'd never heard these words before. You've heard them hundreds of times, probably. This was new. In the same way, he takes the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So twice we see this call to what? To remember. Just like God had told Israel, come together and eat this meal and remember that I have saved you. Now on this Passover night, Jesus comes and says, I'm giving you bread and I'm giving you wine and I want you to eat and drink and remember. You've heard me say this before, but I just think it's an incredible work of God's wisdom and act of his kindness to give us this meal. Yes, he gave us his word. He knew we would have the story. The story of the broken body, the story of the shed blood, but he gave us more. He gave us something we can see and smell and touch and taste. Something we can put on our tongue and taste to help us remember. When you eat the bread, remember. He says when you drink the cup, remember. And don't just do it once. It's an ongoing event. It's something we do over and over. We keep on remembering. Just like the Children of Israel, every year, had this meal. They kept remembering. They would not forget the salvation of God. And we bring the meal out over and over, and we eat and we drink to remember. And you think, great, I got it. I've heard this. What in the world am I supposed to be thinking about? What am I remembering? I'm going to put the bread in my mouth, and I'm going to remember what? Should I just visualize Jesus on the cross? Do I visualize broken body? Do I visualize blood? What do, you want? what do I remember? Yes. Remember his body broken. Remember his blood shed. And also remember that the past work has given present benefits. What should we remember? We remember that our sins are forgiven. And we have peace with God. We remember that we don't stand in our own righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of Christ and we can have confidence as we remember. We remember that through the broken body and the shed blood, we have eternal life. So we can remember with expectancy. We should gain hope as we remember. Hope that we are secure in him. Because as we eat that bread and we drink that cup, we remember he has done it. It is finished. I'm forgiven. I'm secure. As we remember, we should gain endurance knowing that the one who died will never leave us. He will never forsake us. These are the kinds of things we should be calling to mind. He died, and because he died, we have hope and peace and rest. We come to the table for fellowship. We come to the table to remember. We come to the table to proclaim. We see that in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Something special about the Lord's table is that it is a physical, visible event. When you pray, someone may see your head bowed, but there's not much to see. When we eat, we are proclaiming something. When we drink, we are proclaiming. It's an outward physical profession of our faith in Christ. As we eat the bread, we are declaring, I have faith in the body that was broken. As we drink the cup, we are making a profession of our trust in his blood. As we eat and drink, we proclaim our confidence in the finished work of Jesus. And I wonder if you've thought about it this way, that as you eat that bread and as you drink of the cup, it's not only for you, but it's for all those who see you. Because understood rightly, when we eat the bread, we are making a proclamation. I believe that he died. And I believe that death was for me. And I believe my sins are forgiven. And we drink the cup and we are proclaiming to anyone who sees us, drink that. I believe. It's our way of allowing others to know. You think, okay, so the question is, to whom are we proclaiming these things? Okay, as I eat, it's a proclamation. As I drink, it's a proclamation. Who's hearing? Who's seeing the proclamation? I think we could break the audience down into three groups. First, I think it's a proclamation to ourselves before God, I believe. And so we eat and we feel the bread and we drink and we taste of the, the cup and we're saying to ourselves before God, I still believe. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And I believe that you have done the work necessary so I can be forgiven. I don't earn it. I couldn't earn it. You did it. I believe. It's a proclamation for ourselves first. It's also a proclamation to other Christians in the room. Isn't there something special about seeing or hearing someone else proclaim their faith in Christ? Of course, it's something we do the first time publicly when we're baptized. We go under the water and we come out proclaiming to all who witness it, I have died with Christ and been raised with him. It's a one-time act of public proclamation of our faith in Christ. The table is an ongoing event where every time we eat and every time we drink, we again proclaim and profess our faith in Christ. Not to keep our salvation, but to proclaim again, this is for me. And I said it's for others. Because we should be encouraged when we're in a room to know there's others around us who will eat of that bread and confess, I believe. And that there are others who will drink of that cup and confess, I believe. It's a reminder that we are not alone. We are united by faith. Not only with those in this room, but all those throughout all the generations who have eaten of the bread and drinking of the cup. Every month we come together and we should be thanking God for those around us in the room who once again are willing to eat and once again have come to drink. And we should never take for granted that a month goes by and we're still here and we still believe and we still will eat and drink as a proclamation of our faith. So be encouraged. I look forward to when we can pass it again, right? 
from one person to another saying, this is for me and it's for you. We proclaim to ourselves, we proclaim to one another as Christians, but we also proclaim to unbelievers. And sometimes there are those among us who have come in and may not have a relationship with Christ. And we eat and we drink as an announcement to them that we believe. To an outsider, this may look silly. But we say, we're going to do this. Confessing, proclaiming we believe. Almost always we have our kids with us. Some of which are not believers in Christ. And can I guarantee you there's things that we will do together that they will never remember? But they will probably remember watching their parents eat that little piece of bread. Drinking from that little cup. And parents, we should be doing our job before church, after church, to tell them, do you know why I ate that? Not because I was hungry. Not because my physical body needed nourishment, because but it was for my soul. It's a proclamation of my faith in Christ. So I eat in a, by way of fellowshipping with Christ to remember and to proclaim. And we should ask God every time we come to the table to use our proclamation through our eating and our proclamation through our drinking to be the means through which he awakens others to life. That they be drawn to faith in him. I also think this is a reminder to us that we should want to be present. When we're sharing the meal, shouldn't we want to be here? As we consider that it's not just something for me, but it encourages others to see us eat and drink. And it's a benefit to all those around. As we together proclaim, we should be desirous to be here and to share in this meal. It's a special gift from God. It's for fellowship with Christ. It's for remembrance of Christ. It's for proclamation of Christ. It's also for anticipation of Christ's return. Verse 26 again. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That last phrase, until he comes. As we eat, we all share the knowledge that there's more. That this is not the end of our faith. The table's not only for remembering something in the past. The table is not only for pointing us backward. The table is for pointing us forward. It turns our eyes towards the future. Which is why this is not an eternal memorial. He says, do this for how long? Until I come. Which reminds us that he's coming. Reminds us that we're waiting waiting for something specific, waiting for the time when he will split the sky and come again. A reminder that he will fulfill all the promises that he has made. With that said, I hope you recognize that the sharing of the table should be a joyous occasion. And I, I understand that often when we do this, it, it feels somber. And I think there's a, an appropriateness to that but it also should be a time when we smile and we're filled with gratitude because I'm forgiven. I'm free and he's coming again. I know that there is an end to my salvation. There is a fulfillment of the promises. So we eat and we drink and we remember that he's coming. We anticipate his return. 
Yes, we always have an eye to the past, to the work of Christ on our behalf, but we should always have a constant eye to the future, and the Lord's table is a reminder of both, what has been and what is coming. That Christ, although we do not see him now, is very much alive and is returning to save his people once and for all. We eat now, aware that there is another meal coming. We eat this small meal in anticipation of a feast. We think of the vision that John records in Revelation 19 about a day that is to come. He says, hallelujah. The Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, these are the true words of God. What is this? It's a glimpse at a future wedding and a feast. I appreciate Sinclair Ferguson. He said this, and I heard it years ago, and it stuck with me. That the Lord's Supper is like the rehearsal dinner. We come together and we remember everything that's led up to this day. And we look forward to the wedding feast that's going to happen later. We look forward to seeing the groom in all his glory and as his bride being changed. It's the rehearsal dinner as we prepare for that great feast. John says in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are the children of God now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. The Lord's Supper should be a time of anticipation as we look forward to what is to come. Because he died, we will live. So we eat the bread and drink the cup. We're mindful of his return and the glory that is to come. And it should give us hope in times of weakness. There may be a day when you come in here struggling with the events of the week or the month or the year. And my hope is that you can eat and drink and be reminded that you have hope. It should strengthen us in the face of sin, knowing what he's done so we can be set free. It should give us boldness in sharing our faith as we remember what he's done and the gift that's available to all who believe. My hope is that this sermon, this time we're spending together will help us get the fullest possible benefit from sharing at the Lord's table. It's for fellowship, it's for remembrance, it's for proclamation, it's for anticipation. It's also for the unity of the body of Christ. If you read through 1 Corinthians 11, you'll find this phrase five times. Five times in about 12 verses, he uses the phrase, when you come together. It's an indication that this is something that's supposed to be done with one another. It's to be shared. So we don't eat of the Lord's table at home by ourselves. It's not something we incorporate into our private devotions. It's something we do when we come together. We've already talked about some of the benefits of sharing the meal with one another. There's theology behind it. Look back at chapter 10 again. 
Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is not participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not participation in the body of Christ. He speaks of participating in the body of Christ. I think of his death. And then he reminds us of this, another way that that word body is used metaphorically. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. A lot of layers there. What's he telling us? There's one bread. There's many of us. But when we eat, we confess that we are one in him. This passage tells us not only is the meal a means of fellowship with Christ, but it's a means of fellowship with one another. We share it together as a picture of what we are. We are one. There is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. If we go one chapter further to chapter 12, he continues with this metaphor and he says, just as the body is one, our physical body is one, and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. We're all made to drink of one spirit. What's the point? In Christ we are united together. And we believe that when we are saved, we enter into this one body. The fact that we eat one bread is a sign of our fellowship. That's why I've always thought it would probably be valuable for us just to get a loaf and just peel it off, right? Signifying the one body shared among many that signifies we are one. Together we remember the death. Together we proclaim. Together we anticipate. Are there individual benefits? Yeah. There are. But it also reminds us that we're part of something bigger and that there is a corporate benefit to the sharing of the table. It reminds us of our unity with one another. So it's more than each of us having a private devotion in the same room, right? And we could think about it that way. Here I am having my fellowship with Christ, eating and drinking, and here's the next person, and it's a bunch of people all sharing a private moment in the same room. But it's more than that. There is a sense in which it's private, but there's also a sense in which it's corporate because we eat together and we make this proclamation together. It's one of the reasons the season of COVID has been so painful for me. Because I recognize we have not all been together and there's a sense in which there are empty seats around our table. So I long for the time when all those who are a part of this body can gather together. We're united in Christ, and the Lord's table is a significant part of our proclamation. We pass the bread and the cup, and we demonstrate our sharing of the sacrifice of Christ, and that we are one in his death. Five things. Five things I hope you can hold on to, carry with you. The Lord's Supper is for fellowship. The Lord's Supper is for remembrance. The Lord's Supper is for anticipation. It's for proclamation. And we do it together. I mentioned earlier, maybe you've had the thought, is there really anything special about this? This little piece of bread, this little cup of juice, is it important or is it just part of our tradition? What I want you to know is this is significant and it's a gift. It should be received with joy. But also should be shared 
and taken with reflection. We've talked this morning, and I wanted our folks to be on what happens during the meal. But the passage also tells us something about what should happen before the meal, about our preparation. If you have your Bibles, you can look down to verse 27. Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Plenty here for a sermon to itself. But it's a warning, it's a reminder of the significance of what this is, that it shouldn't be approached flippantly. This is why we limit the mill to those who are believers in Christ. We believe it's a serious thing to serve this meal to someone who's not a Christian. It's also why we should be faithful in reminding one another to examine our hearts. This table is to be approached in repentance. It should make us aware of our need for forgiveness. Now let me say this, because I remember hearing this verse, especially as a, a younger person and thinking so I have to be perfect before I come but doesn't that defeat the purpose because the meal is a reminder that we're not perfect the meal is a reminder that forgiveness is available so examine your heart and come with a repentant heart knowing that you are still a sinner but you eat and drink in recognition and repentance, knowing that you need Christ. Hear the warning from Paul. This should be a time of examination, ensuring that we're living in a way that pleases him. But know that what we do is we eat admitting our sin and admitting our need. So we must not take it lightly, but we should also be thankful for it. It's a regular reminder that helps us to not grow cold. It prevents us, it guards us against being hardened by sin. So every time we come to the table, it's another opportunity to examine, to reflect, and to repent. And then we eat and drink in gratitude that we're forgiven. So in just a few minutes, I'll invite you to take this piece of bread and I'll invite you to drink from that small cup. It is a simple act, but it carries a lot of weight. It doesn't take long, but it signifies something of eternal value. It's something we do often, but it should never grow old. It's a gift we've been given by our Lord for our good and for his glory. So as we come to the table, I hope you will come eager for fellowship with Christ. I hope that you will come ready to remember, prepared to proclaim with great anticipation, knowing that you do not come alone.
Together we remember. Together we proclaim. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again.